Hi, welcome to another episode of Talking Fit. I am Paul Rose. I'm here as ever with Luke Morgan. And today we are joined by Lisa Austin. So Lisa, just in two or three minutes, give us a little intro. Tell us about yourself. Okay, so my name is Lisa Austin. I'm a personal trainer and soft tissue therapist. So I do sports massage. I qualified in 2015 to be a personal trainer. And I've now got a gym just outside Hitchin called Rock Health and Fitness, where we do group exercise, PT. Our main market are middle-aged women, to be honest. So that's the kind of market that we've ended up, we didn't aim for that, but that's who we've ended up with. So it's just fun and effective training for everyone is our motto. And it's about changing people's lives. So even though I started off wanting to do boxing training and, and really kind of like harsh, heavy programming, I've ended up doing the more base stuff for people that just want to get fit and have fun and enjoy their exercise. So that's where the business has ended up. But in terms of my boxing career, I started boxing back July 2014 and I did my first bout in December 2014. It started off as a bit of fun. I thought I'd do a fight and see how it went. And I ended up having 12 fights, winning two belts. I fought the York Hall three times. I ended up cornering on fights, working with some amazing trainers and gyms. And it just kind of escalated from me going down and thinking I'd give a white collar fight a go and ended up sort of excelling to that. So it was really good fun. Awesome. Cool. So when you, what made you go into the, the boxing gym that first time? So my friend did a fight and I went to watch her and I remember it was in Stevenage in one of the hotels. And when you go to watch white collar events, they really big them up. It's all about the drama and, you know, you get in there and there's the, the um, compare and you've got all of the ring girls and it's like this big show of all the lights. So it does draw you in. And this was when White Collar had really just started. So Ultra White Collar Boxing, who I was with, who I did my first fight with, they actually started in 2013. So her fight was the end of 2013 and mine was in 2014. So it was when it had just started. So it was quite new. And I remember watching her and thinking, I want to do that but I was too scared. So I kind of left it six months and then I thought I'd give it a go. At that time I was training with Dean from World Training. So I was super fit. I wasn't a PT, but I was really, really fit. So the very first session that I went in there, I was one of the fittest people that, that were actually training. Even though I was the oldest, I was the oldest woman in there. So um, I had a bit of the upper hand. So I, I wasn't that nervous. Oh. So I'm guessing, so you told me you were, 42 was it when you first yeah um, um yeah so you were one of the older ones in there and you were a female so yeah. what, what kind of welcome do you get in a boxing gym in that because i'm imagining a boxing gym is mostly male and mostly yeah. like 20 to 30 yeah. as well do they look at you and be a bit like oh you know as you decided that doesn't fancy the yoga today um <laughs> kind of not expect you to stick it out or is it quite open arms and friendly and yeah so it's quite um women's boxing's changed hugely in the last five years so this was six years ago um and especially i mean in london it's massive now and even in the smaller areas like kind of hitching the smaller towns but it's quite a funny story i went to ultra white collar boxing so it's fine that you're expected the women come in that there wasn't any kind of issue but because i'm extra and i have to always go that extra mile I started training in a boxing gym in Hitchin, which was a professional boxing gym. It was, it's quite rough around the edges. It's one of those gyms that, you know, they 
They yeah, beat people up, they drag them out and drag them back in again. Right. So um, I remember I rang the owner, who I'm quite good friends with now, and I said to him, can I come and do some sparring and see what's going on? I'd had probably two lessons in the ultra white collar. And I remember walking in this gym, it was up some stairs, and as I walked in there, there'd never been a woman training in there before. And this was only like six years ago. And they were all training. And as I came up the stairs, I had my boxing gloves. And I was there and I was like, hi, I'm here. And everyone stopped and they all looked around like this. And then they looked at the trainer and then they kind of just didn't know what to do. And I was just like, okay, so he brought me in. We did a fitness session and I was fitter than probably 90% of them in there. So suddenly they were like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I got a little bit of respect back. I ended up boxing with those guys probably for about five years. So they, that was my main boxing gym, No Mercy Boxing Gym in Hitchin. So you say it's changed a lot in the last five, six years. I'm guessing a lot of that is down to kind of Nicola Adams and yeah. Olympic success there. Yeah. So do you find now kind of in your gym that you get women or men kind of hunt you out as someone they they've seen boxing yeah. know from boxing and yeah like a bit of a role model yeah in, in my area i am i am known for the boxing because the no mercy gym they had four events in hitchin at the town hall and i fought on three of them and there's very very rarely women fighting on their events because it is a very male dominated gym so because of that reason i'm quite well known for the boxing in the area but yeah i mean it's cool because I do get a lot of people that come to me, they want to do boxing training now, and I do it. I do a lot of pad work with them and things like that, but I, I am not a boxing coach. And I think there's also something here that we need to, to remember is that just because you've fought a couple of times, or even if you are a professional boxer, doesn't mean you're a coach. It's the same way, you know, if, if you want to learn to box, you wouldn't go to Auntie Joshua, you go to his coach. Yeah. And I think that's something that we find a lot in, in, in boxing specifically, that you have someone that will have four or five fights and suddenly they're selling themselves as coaches. And I don't agree with that at all. I think that's a, a really important point, and that's um, it's certainly not unique to boxing. You see that across right across sport. You certainly see it in the fitness industry. You know, if someone's done a bit of bodybuilding, suddenly they're selling yeah. bodybuilding programs, and yeah. everyone's everyone's trying to do it. And I imagine Luke, you probably see that in motocross as well. If someone's good at motocross, then... yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, Lisa, you don't know this, but uh, my my background's in motocross. Okay. So, um, we were discussing pro previous to this actually about the types of injuries that we were seeing, that I've seen in boxing and, and probably you've seen in boxing. And later mm. on, maybe we'll talk about any injuries that you've had. But yeah, I find that a lot as well. You get professional riders who have got a big following on social media and boom, the season's finished. They go straight into coaching. Yeah. No particular experience of coaching, yeah. but yeah, because they're good at because they're professionals or, mm. or seen as good, they try to coach and it isn't always yeah. a good recipe. No, no, absolutely. I actually had a boxing gym for four months as well. So I opened a boxing gym because I was so in love with the sport. And I had a professional boxer who is a coach working there running it for me. And he was fully qualified, fully insured. And it made us see quite quickly how some of the gyms don't follow procedures as well. So they don't have the correct insurances in place and it's actually quite scary when you look at it i think that now people are becoming more involved in getting better insurances but there was a time three or four years ago that anyone was running a white collar and anyone was running coaching 
and sparring as well without the relevant qualifications. I guess boxing particularly, because it's not just on the female side, but overall, it's always been seen as quite an underground sport. Yeah. It's not, it's not mainstream in the way of, like football or rugby or something mm. like that, where you've got every kid plays it at school and yeah. plays it on a, a weekends and that kind of stuff. And because it's a bit more underground, the people going are probably a little bit more into the sport and the gyms possibly see that as an opportunity to kind of go, well, you know, they're not going to sue us, what's the worst that can happen? Mm. And then on yeah. the other side of it, it's, because it's that, a bit more underground, a bit more niche, maybe the money isn't there, so the gyms are obviously trying to yeah. minimize overhead, maximize yeah. returns on it and insurances yeah. and stuff that you don't consider yeah. yourself to necessarily need, perhaps get overlooked. Um, I mean, in terms of, do you know what is required financially and time commitment to become a boxing coach? Yeah, so the British Board of Boxing Control, they have different levels. So I was looking at doing the level one, and it's not so much how much it costs, it's just the time and it's experience as well. Because one thing at the moment, there's the Ricky Hatton Boxing Academy, and he runs boxing classes yeah. and things like that. So you've got these people that are doing these courses, and then they're saying, okay, so I can now coach boxing. And they're taught the jab, the cross, the hook and the uppercut, I think. And I've actually been to someone's class and what they were teaching was shocking and it was actually quite scary, but as a personal trainer. And I was like, okay, so it's boxing, but it isn't boxing. So, you know, there is a lot out there where people are teaching box fit classes as well. And you can get some really bad injuries just hitting a pad if you don't hit properly. And I've seen people dislocate their shoulders. I've had people where they, they punch and they miss because they're not being padded properly and then you miss and you slip. And then yeah. you can get injuries through your shoulders and your elbows. So tennis elbow is quite a common one that we see with boxers. So you do need to be competent, even if it's not to teach someone how to box, it's how to hold pads properly and how to punch properly. Just that I dislocated my thumb in a fight in a fight because we were rushing. It was a white collar and they didn't wrap my hands properly. And I caught someone's elbow, so I dislocated my thumb, which was quite painful. I carried on and I won, <laughs> which was really well stupid. But um, yeah, it was quite painful. Yeah, I mean, I, I always thought the Ricky Hatton Academy was basically like boxer size. It was a yeah. very fitness-based boxing. I couldn't imagine. Yeah. If you saw someone advertising proper, like, boxing to fight off the mm. back of a boxer size qualification, you would yeah. never take them seriously. You'd be, yeah, you'd be name. surprised, though. Well, yeah. yeah you'd so. be surprised what, what you see. But, you know, that's, that's the industry, isn't it? I think it's just about we, we look at what people offer. And you're always going to have someone that would try and make out that they're more experienced than what they are. So yeah. if someone came to me for boxing, I'd say to them, I do fitness pads. That's, that's what I offer. I can right. get you fitter, I can program you, and I'll, I'll get you to punch safely. But I am in no way teaching you how to fight or how to box. Then you have to go to a proper boxing coach. Yeah. I think those kind of disclaimers, particularly in things like football, all combat sports, um, mm. are really, really important because people will get a bit of an adrenaline rush off the mm. back of it and be like, oh, well, I've done two hours of boxing, now I'm a lethal weapon, I can go out and do whatever I want. And it's just not the case yeah. at all. Everyone thinks they can box. And I heard a really good, we were talking about jiu-jitsu actually, but it was a really good analogy, it really works here. And 
yesterday was saying if you had a novice, like you've never done jiu-jitsu before, had never had a fight before, and went up against Conor McGregor, it for Conor McGregor it would be the same as LeBron James playing basketball against a five-year-old who's never played basketball before. Like, yeah. but you just don't appreciate the skill no. and everything that's involved in combat sports because you think, yeah, kicking, punching, whatever it is. Anyway, yeah. it's definitely a learned skill because you can't you can't teach it without experiencing it. So you have to do the sparring because I used to have a lot of people that used to come, you see coming into boxing gyms saying, I want to do the training, but I don't want to fight. Right. Um, and that's fine. The training is great in a, in a boxing gym, but you get drawn into the sparring side of it. And then if you do want to fight, you have to do the sparring. You have to do the hours on, on spars because otherwise you go into the boxing ring and you're completely unprepared on fight night because everything's then exaggerated. So what you should learn in sparring should be the skill, should be be able to protect yourself, should be knowing when you you know you need to call it or knowing when you're going to win and then you can pull back. There's so much there. It's called ring craft. Yeah, I, mean, I know yeah. a guy who did a, a white collar fight a couple of months ago and he was saying one thing that really struck him was on the night when everyone was going in to do their fights, Suddenly, everything they'd learned just went out the window, and people were just throwing fists around. That, that's your first fight. Yeah, <laughs> windmill. Which yeah. kind of, I mean, I'm certainly not an expert on boxing at all, but to me, that suggests that they didn't learn it properly in the first place. They weren't ready mm. for a fight. Those skills. Yeah. Had to I think. I think no matter how much you train and how much you spar, your first fight, you're always going to get drawn in like that because right. you just. It's really hard to explain, but. There's a few feelings when, when you go into a fight. If your balance kind of equally matched, it's it's cool. You kind of settle down into it, and it becomes quite enjoyable in a weird kind of way. If you're in a, a fight where you're completely out of your your depth, it is the scariest thing I will say ever, because you just can't see the punches coming. No matter what you seem to do, it doesn't work, and it's really frustrating because you're trying to hit, and every time you hit, the person isn't there. It's right. so different to hitting pads. When you hit pads, that person's holding that pad for you. When you're hitting a person, they're moving, the head's going. And, you know, you think that you're in control. And then you get hit and it hurts. And then you get angry and you get scared. It's just a whole range of emotions. So, yeah, it's, but it's quite hard to explain until you've experienced it. I think that's the beauty of a sport as well, though, isn't it? It's, it's a real artistry. You look at all yeah. the greats and the way they move. They're so fluid with, their oh, with yeah. the way they move. And you look at very who was the only billionaire i believe in uh boxing so mayweather here yeah what was he best at it wasn't always yeah. hitting was it he no. could just movement he could just defend himself yeah. move around yeah. yeah i was watching a coach um john durant the other day and he was doing a demonstration on one of the techniques that he uses to defend himself which is where he just brings his shoulder forward like this and he just moves with his shoulder like that and it was just amazing. You see him just, just doing this defense movement, but he's just waiting for this backhand to come across. I think it was called a high shoulder. And the way he does it is just effortless. There's no fear, it's just movement. It's like a dance. And, and you, you, can can't, just you can't learn that on pads, can you? You no. can't learn that in any other situation yeah. other than actually fighting. But obviously, the yeah. thousands of hours to even get there in the first place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm guessing when you you learn to box, particularly when you learn to defend yourself, a lot of it is learning to read the other person's mm. movement 
and their body. Yeah. Yeah. If you wait for them to throw a punch and move out of the way, I imagine it's too late by then. Like, yeah. The time it takes them to to get their fist from their their shoulder to your face yeah. is shorter yeah. than the time it takes for you to go their shoulders. They're about to throw a punch and then to yeah. process those thoughts to actually move yeah. out of the way. Um, yeah. It takes a lot of experience. It takes hours and hours of sparring. So for um, not my last fight, the fight before, I did 64 um, sparring rounds. That was my aim, to do 64. So we did, I think it was over eight weeks. Did, yeah, about eight rounds each, each week. So it was um, getting in there and just getting used to the spar. And in the beginning, when you haven't sparred for a while, you watch people. You watch the whole person. Then after a while, you start to notice that shoulder shifts. And as the shoulder shifts, you know the punches come in before the you see the punch yeah so you start to get used to reading their movements so i know now when i'm when i'm boxing with someone if i see that happen i know that the jab's going to come next and that's what experience gives you because when you first start not say that i'm experienced but just from what i've learned in the beginning i'm watching them and i'm watching the hands and i'm waiting for the hands to come whereas now i'd be watching the person's movement so it's yeah how many fights did you actually do when you were I had 12 fights. I also did about five where you go and you just move around with someone. So say that there's, which is, they mentioned on that program yeah. that we were talking about where you would go and fill in if a fighter hasn't turned up. So like a journeyman. Yeah. But with that, it's just as long as you're respectful. So I went, I did two fights with you call like that, where I went in for a friend of mine and I covered as a as stand in with girls that, that we just moved around together and it was actually really enjoyable, but you just hold your punches back. So I'd had a lot more experience than them. And I think it was actually safer than them going in with someone that hadn't had that many fights because it was a controlled spa basically. And they had a great experience. They, they enjoyed it. The crowd really liked it because it wasn't, it wasn't so much staged, you know, I'm still hitting them, but I'm not going in there to, to really yeah. hurt them. You've got control of your emotions as well because you know yeah. the role that you're playing. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's really enjoyable. And those, those are charity events. And one of the things that I noticed, one of the girls that I fought against twice, she was a mum with three children. And it really helped her confidence going and, and learning to box and doing these events. And it, she became so much fitter. She was eating better. She, it really helped her. So, you know, I do see a benefit in it as long as it's controlled and it's done properly. There's, there is a lot of benefit in boxing. As I say, if, if you've got the right coaches and the right team around you. Are there specific levels of coaching or specific types of coaches for beginner boxers compared to advanced boxers? Or is it more occasional, less experienced coaches will work with less experienced boxers and, and they just um, move up? I think it depends. It depends where you go, because for the ultra white collar that I did, the two coaches were very, very experienced boxers, ex-boxers, and they were really fantastic. You know, their knowledge was amazing, but they were working for a gym that was running ultra white collar boxing. So they were there for that reason. And they also worked with professionals. So they were just it was just three hours of their week that they were coaching us. So that was just a job to them. Yeah. But I guess you could go, I have been to another company where the coach didn't know what, what he was doing and it was quite obvious quite quickly. But, you know, that's, that is what it is. There's nothing you can really do. I just kept myself safe during the sessions. I didn't spar with anyone that, that was out on my level. And I'm, I'm quite good at making sure that I'm safe when I go into the gyms because I have had a few experiences where 
I've been put in the ring with someone and I've said I'm getting out because, you know, it's a guy who's got no respect. He's trying to knock me into next week. And you're not going to learn like that. It's just complete rubbish. Yeah. You can end up getting really hurt. And as a woman, you know, I don't particularly want to get a broken nose unless I, you know, if it's in a fight and it's an equally matched fight, then okay, that's happened. But if I'm sparring against a guy who's six foot two, who's trying to take my head off, that's not a controlled spar. That's actually quite dangerous. No. So I would take myself out of that situation. But I guess that kind of comes back to what we were saying before we started recording about like the ego side of things. Like yeah. you were able to say, no, this is the worst mm. situation. I'm not prepared to do this. Yeah. Someone else, but if I went in there, maybe my my ego would say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this around. I'm going to get this guy. And then it's yeah. going yeah. very, very wrong. And the thing is, boxing is is a sport that where there is inherent risk. Like you, you can't go in something where people are punching each other and expect it to be one hundred percent safe. Like you could take yeah. all the precautions in the world, there's always some kind of risk. Yeah, there is a chance of, of injury. I saw someone dislocate a shoulder in in an event, and she'd had issues with her shoulder already, and she just threw a silly overhand punch like that, and as she hit on someone's head, that was it. Her shoulder popped out during her bout so I was cornering for her so I had to stop the fight because she came over like this with her arm hanging out of her shoulder yeah but you know she knew the risk she, we did tell her before you you've dislocated your shoulder before it could happen and she signed a waiver and said she, she wants to go ahead so you know what can you do Lisa are you still boxing I'm not no so my last fight was about uh got a year ago okay. and I got so busy at work that I just didn't have time to put the hours in for the training. And one of the things that you can't do and you, is you cannot be half a boxer because, you know, like you, you can kind of dabble with running and you could maybe be, you know, a part-time cyclist, but with boxing, if you want to compete, you cannot go in half-heartedly. So I was kind of jumping in and out of it for, for probably the last year. And then my last fight I drew with the opponent and it still winds me up now that I'm, I'm unbeaten, but that I had the last fight was a draw. I should have won. I was, I think, a better boxer, but because I didn't train for it properly, I, I got a bit cocky. I thought, oh, I'll be okay. I'll be able to just wing it. And I just blew out after the first round. So I kind of spent the next two rounds just backing up and trying to hold, hold my own because I, I wasn't fit enough. So um, I then decided to pull the plug on it because otherwise you go into it and you're not putting in the right effort, you can get really hurt. So do you think you'll go back for your last fight? I was thinking of doing an event when I'm 50, so two years and going back in and doing like a final fight. But I, I don't know. I don't know. Part of me still wants that glory. And I know that sounds really egotistical, but yeah, I, I loved it. It was amazing. But then I didn't lose. I never lost any of my fights. So maybe if I'd gone in and taken a hiding, then I might have thought to myself, this isn't so much fun. I see on um, like social media, your kids do a bit of boxing now as well. Is that they something did. you're kind of guiding them towards? <laughs> um, yeah, so my Harry, my middle one, he started doing some boxing and I took him to my, my boxing gym, No Mercy. And he got in the ring with a couple of kids that were far too experienced and he took he took quite a beating and I wasn't happy. It wasn't anyone's fault. It was just he got in the ring. With teenagers, what you find is they can't control their hands when they get a little bit excited. So the boys that are fighting, they catch you and if you get them back, 
they'll go to town on you. They don't know how to control themselves. So it's a little bit more precarious when they, they're kind of at that age, that's 13, 14, 15. Yeah, things are a bit more hormonal. Yeah, the ego um, kind of comes in a lot yeah. more. But I mean, you know, he, he loved it and he wants to go back. So I'm, I'm probably going to bring him back into it. But it's just, you know, head injury for children. You've got to be very, very careful for impact at that age, yeah. especially when they're younger. I'm guessing they make them wear like head guards and it's big, like 14 to yeah. gloves and stuff. So they... Yeah, but even getting punched with 16 ounce gloves and head guards on hurts. Yeah, it's still a blow. Really hurts. Head, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, they, yeah, so even when you wear like the full face guards and you get hit, even though you don't get hit on the face, it still knocks your head back and the impact. Yeah going through your brain is quite a lot yeah it's quite quite high yeah you may you may limit the skin on skin contact where there's certainly a lot of force going through there yeah absolutely yeah i've actually got an issue with my ears now that i can't put my head backwards without i get like a form of vertigo and the doctor does think that's from getting smacked in the head <laughs> from boxing so that's yeah it does put me off wanting to come back again and right. fight again what injuries have you had through from boxing yeah. Well, apart from kind of black eyes and bleeding noses, I've um, I hurt my jaw once that I couldn't open my jaw for about a week from getting hit. That that was quite painful. I've had whiplash, dislocated my thumb. I broke one of my fingers when I was I think it was during training. I was just padding, and then that was kind of boxing related. Um, and then obviously the issue with my ears as well, which isn't great. And I've taken a few wax to my ribs, which were quite uncomfortable for a while. But, you know, you can't get into a boxing ring and spa and expect to come out completely unscathed. It's... No, it's like you say, even like just throwing a punch wrong. Yeah. Break a finger, you could break a knuckle, dislocate yeah. something. You could hurt yeah. your ribs, especially if you haven't, haven't wrapped up properly and yeah. that kind of stuff as well. It's, it's something where... It only takes like a fraction of a second. Yeah. Just one moment of not really thinking it through or bad technique and yeah. And you've done something. I um, think with every sport though, there is always a risk yeah, of injury, isn't there? Yeah, you know. Yeah, cycling. Yeah, you could fall off, you know, you yeah. could be car could knock you off. There's the amount of times I've almost like sprained ankles running just running up mountains. <laughs> yeah, you just switch off for a second, put your foot yeah. down at a slightly odd place and Yeah. No, almost go. Paul, you could talk about cycling as well because you broke your arm cycling, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did break my arm. Oh, oh, did you? Okay. Mm. <laughs> Stick to running, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that good at that either, though. <laughs> kind of from the family side of things, but obviously you put in a lot of hours to the boxing, and you even before you had the, the PT and stuff, you had a filming business as well, didn't you? Yeah. How do you balance having three boys, a business, and boxing? Um, something always has to give. So this is one of the things that I've learned over the last few years, is that I'm very, very compulsive, and I will always take things that one step further. So the boxing became quite an obsession. And I guess my children did suffer because I was spending around six to eight hours a week in the, in the gym training. They were there with me most of the time because as a single mum, I didn't have babysitters. So I used to take the boys with me to the boxing gym and they'd be knocking around on the bags and stuff like that. I mean, they're 13 and 14 now, the two youngest ones. So they would have been sort of eight and nine. So yeah, I mean, they, they would have been in the gym with me. But yeah, a lot of time was taken for that. 
when yeah. I guess I should have been concentrating on on being at home with the kids and and working. So it it was a big distraction. And in terms of having them in the gym, do you think that kind of environment does it sort of teach them things that they obviously they're going to see things that a lot of kids that age wouldn't see. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, they, they loved it and there was other children there. You do, in, in a lot of boxing gyms, you do have the kids kind of running around and they do get involved and everyone's very friendly. And, you know, they, they did enjoy it. It's not something that, that I would really take them out of. They did like the, that side of it and it was good fun. But in hindsight, I probably should have been at home with them, making sure they were doing maybe their homework or something like that. It, it kind of, you, you know, you look back and you think that, for, I was never going to be this famous boxer, but I became quite obsessed by it and I actually loved it so much that I thought it was the best thing in the world for, for me to be around, for the kids to be around. But in hindsight, I do think that, that it probably wasn't the best decision that I made. But, you know, we live and learn in life, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. So, they you know, probably learn different lessons from, from that yeah. as well. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, they're, they're doing really well at school. They never suffered in their schoolwork or anything like that. But you know, it was just something that, that I really liked to do. And at the time, they, they actually quite enjoyed it as well. Yeah, and, uh, and so in addition to that, Lisa, despite the fact you said maybe you should have done something, mm. maybe you should have spent more time at home, maybe you shouldn't. Like, yeah. Something obviously felt right to do that at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think but, it's always this, this thing being a single mum as well, that, that whatever you do, you're always going to feel like you need to be everywhere at the same time. So I am you know I do have my own business I am a single mum with three kids and I'm their sole provider and it's just you know you always feel that maybe you should do more as as a mum so you know I used to spend I, I still do spend hours at work and things like that you can't be everywhere and you know I want my kids to have a good life in terms of what I can provide for them as well as being there so it is yeah. that mix isn't it you know yeah, but, like yeah. crushing it yeah, well, <laughs> I, I'm trying, I'm trying. I don't know if Paul mentioned, but I had um, a hysterectomy in December. So I've actually been off work. I was off work for nearly four months. So it's made me realise that I need to pull back on my work as well, because, you know, being quite obsessive and being very much involved in, in building a business and, and kind of pushing my career forward, I didn't look after myself very, very much for a good good number of years so I need to take some of my own advice because if I was one of my clients I would be saying you need to rest you need to take it easy you need to look after yourself more. Really need to do some yeah. of that sometimes exactly. <laughs> you need to balance a bit but yeah balance exactly but it sounds like you've done everything for a purpose yeah. you may have maybe you might say to yourself you've done a little bit too much of this or a little bit too much of it it sounds like you've done it for a purpose yeah yeah I'm, I am quite proud of the fact that I've got a gym and I've worked really hard for that. So I've only been qualified five years. So I do think that I've done really well in terms of building that, you know, I've never had any money behind me. Everything that I've, I've done, I've always had to earn the money and then I've gone and bought the equipment there. There isn't, you know, any kind of big pot of money that I've been able to dip into to, to build my business. It's always been through sort of sheer hard work. So I'm quite proud of that. Really so. Yeah. And you sort of touched on it earlier, the boxing gym. Obviously, you started that because of a, a love of boxing. Why, why close it after four months? Was it just not the right demographic? Yeah, so boxing gyms don't really earn money. So that's what it comes down to. Most people that have a boxing gym have it through the love of the sport. 
so it is very much about the love of the sport and I opened that too quickly within my business's infrastructure so I wasn't set up for long enough if I was to open the boxing gym now the business would be able to cope with the fact that it would just probably make it make its own money and that would be it there wouldn't be any profit it would cover its own own back so I've now got a little studio there which has got boxing bags in it and we run kind of boxing fitness classes but to have half of the unit now which I use for group exercises a boxing gym just wasn't feasible financially and I thought when I opened it that I could suffer it and it would be okay but quite quickly I realized that it just wasn't worth it I was going to be working far more hours than I needed to be so yeah I just yeah it it would have been great to have kept it it was a fab gym it was really really cool so you've still got like the Anthony Joshua mural and stuff on your yes Yeah, that's still on the wall. Yeah, Anthony Joshua is still on the wall. So, so like you said, your your big demographic in the gym now is sort of middle-aged ladies. What sort of stuff do you do with them? Like, what would your typical day look like okay. if we weren't in lockdown? Right, so if we went in lockdown, normally before before surgery, it was quite long hours. So I'd start at six. I'd do a six till seven, come back. This is why I've now changed the way that I work, because it was just absolutely crazy. I'd have half an hour to get the kids to the bus stop and back again. I'd start PT at half seven till about half 12, back to back. I'd go home, I'd have an hour's lunch, a little bit of admin, back in the gym again. Home at probably about four, pick the kids up, back in at five until nine. So that was my my day pretty much. And that's a busy personal trainer. I think a lot of PTs are like that. It's not just me. And that was it. It was kind of like sometimes about 12, 15 hours in the gym which is just crazy. So I don't work weekends anymore. I, I stopped working weekends. But even four days like that is a, is a long slog. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You probably do. You do the same, I'm sure. I have done in the past. I kind of yeah. cut down a bit now just because I wanted to have a bit of a life as well. Yeah. And in terms of the clients themselves, like what kind of stuff would you, would you do with them? Um, your typical middle-aged woman isn't going to go in and do in training in the kind of way you would have done when you were boxing. It's not yeah, going to no. make sense to you. So what Rock um, Health and Fitness is basically, we, I've kind of separated it now to group exercise. So it's really a group exercise platform where we have, I say, middle-aged women. We've got a few guys that come in, but generally most of our clients range from, from about 35 up to about 55. That's kind of like the, the age range. Um, and we train them hard, don't get me wrong, yeah. you know, we, we put them through some tough training, but it is tailored towards people of, of that kind of, that like to have a glass of wine, they want to be fit, they want to be strong. And then when it comes down to PT, I tend to specialise with people that have hypermobility, so I do a lot of rehabilitation and strength training and injury management, functional training. And I've also launched another business called Miraculous Menopause, which is tailored towards pre and postmenopausal women. Because where I knew I was having my surgery, I did loads of research and I found out that there isn't actually that much out there for women in terms of exercise. So that's why I've launched this kind of side business, which is going to run alongside Rock. So that's something else that I set up. (laughs) (laughs) As well as the sports massage, yeah. So so, um, it's it's very, very interesting, it really is. Now I can imagine, like you say, it's only not something that I've ever looked at into personally but i can imagine it is the kind of thing where there's just there, there's there's a lot out there for women in menopause in terms of people talking about it but there isn't very much doing you know like you can go and you can look at podcasts and um, meg matthews does some amazing stuff for her instagram and her websites and there's um menopause workshops and things like that but to actually go and train 
and do, yeah. do the certain exercises that are specifically tailored to, to women in menopause because we need to work on our bone density because the increase in osteoporosis from the lack of estrogen and also um, muscle atrophy when you go into the menopause is it's just crazy first five years you see a massive drop in your muscle um, muscle mass so really important that you train in a specific way and what a lot of women do is because they start to put on weight they start doing loads of hit training which is yeah. the worst things to do so you know it, we do need more out there in terms of that so yeah i guess it's probably in terms of menopausal training in general it's probably in the same kind of place that pre-postnatal training was yeah. 20 years ago when yeah. the advice was basically well just chill out for a couple of years don't do much you'll put on some weight yeah. and you can address it afterwards yeah um, exactly yeah there, there's so much out there that's wrong as well because when, when you actually look on google and you do your research i'm just like that doesn't make sense so then i'd go and look at the medical papers and i'd be like okay so clearly someone's just written that because they think that's what people want to hear or that's what, what they've read somewhere so there's, there's a lot out there that isn't factually correct yeah i think that's that's true across probably not even just fitness um yeah but particularly with the rise in social media and mm. google and things like that the amount of things people say to me and you just go no that's, that's <laughs> basically yeah. nothing and you you see videos on like instagram and stuff people promoting things and you just think that is absolute crap yeah it's there's nothing remotely factual that you're yeah. saying uh, it's not backed up by anything but people will buy into it and it's from a kind of fitness professional point of view the hard thing is getting the right message across to people because people will naturally kind of gravitate to what they like the sound of which is more often than not the thing mm. that's wrong like you say with hip training in menopausal postmenopausal women even in older men isn't a great thing to be doing but because it's hyped about so much the fat loss that's yeah where, where they'll go. yeah I think yeah, every part of the industry as well, it, everything's, people get the, the message mixed up between what is factually correct and what is marketable. Yeah. And I think everybody just steers towards marketable, what looks pretty, what's aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. You know, how many of these, however, whatever sort of combination of a burpee, let's, let's do a thousand of these yeah. now. And it, it's used yeah. in every single element, even like yeah. you're discussing here in, in the menopausal situation. I'm sure there's lots of people plastering that information, exactly what you said, what people want to hear. Yeah, but totally. Not what, not what they should hear. Yeah. I mean, if you just say, you've only really got to look at strength training and strength training needs to be repetitive with aggressive overload. Yeah. And it can be a little bit tedious and a little bit boring to get results, mm. but that's the way that we have to train to get results. And people don't like to stick with, with the same kind of training, even though it's more beneficial to their goal. So yeah. I do find that even when I do rehab with people, I'm like, you know, it might not be the most exciting six weeks of your life, but you will get a really good result at the end of it if you can stick with it. It might not be the most enjoyable, but it is necessary. Absolutely. And it's what will get your results. But if you want to go and do burpees with someone, then that's fine by you. But you'll be back with me in six weeks' time when your knee's dislocated again. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know. Yeah, definitely. It's like, but, yeah. I mean, like I'll do, um, like CrossFit gets a bad rep for everything. I do CrossFit. I love doing CrossFit. But it's not suitable for everyone. No, uh, it is. Scale all the exercises. If you go and watch a Netflix documentary about the CrossFit Games and walk into a CrossFit gym and say, I want to do that. And the coach in there says, cool, right, let's go. Then the coach isn't very good. You need to go. Yeah. And it's, it's 
kind of uniqueness coach that has resources to stand up yeah. in anything and say no, which links back into the boxing again. It's, well, it's no yeah. point to throw in the towel on behalf of the person. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, one of the times I remember I was coaching, um, sort of cornering for an event, and one of the guys that I was in the corner for, he was just not defending himself during the fight. He was going into punches with his hands down like this and just taking them because he was egging the crowd on. I mean, it was, it was awful. And the first thing they always say to you before you start your fight is defend yourselves at all times. And that's how it should be, defend yourself. So I warned him twice that if he doesn't start to defend himself, I'm pulling the fight. The ref warned him twice. And he just carried on. In the end, I threw the towel in. I mean, he kicked off. All of the crowd went crazy. They, they weren't happy. And I was like, but you're going to get hurt. You cannot fight like that. You know, it's, it's really, really dangerous. So he wasn't very happy. We had a bit of a, an argument in the, um, the changing rooms at the back, but the referee actually came out and he was like, that was the end of it. It was not going to carry on because you cannot fight like that. You have to make sure that you're defending yourself. Well, I guess it's, it's disrespectful to your opponent as well. And yeah. they kind of clock onto it, it's going to wind them up and their punches yeah. are going to get harder and it's just going to get yeah. more dangerous. Yeah. I think that's probably a good place to end as well. Um, cool. So thank you very much for coming on. Where can people go on kind of Facebook, Instagram, whatever it may be to find out more about you, more about Rock? And yeah, just, just under Rock Health and Fitness. So we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. I'm not that active on social media, probably not as active as I should be. So um, we do have a website as well. I'd rather people just give me a call if they want to chat about their fitness goals, because especially something I've noticed at this time as well now is that obviously we're having to use technology and we're having to use the phone and we're having to use, yeah. you know, social media. And I like the, the personal contact. I like to be able to speak to people properly and I'm a little bit old fashioned yeah. like that, you know. So if anyone does want to want to chat to me about their training or their goals, I prefer them to just message me and I'll give them a call. Oh, awesome. Luke, same question to you. Yes, yeah, so I'm Zen Anatomy Sports Therapy on Facebook, Zen underscore Anatomy on Instagram, um, and YouTube as well, Zen Anatomy. Cool. Check awesome. me out for rehab videos, and obviously, yeah. Uh, and I'm Paul Rose PT, or at Paul Rose PT on everything, paulrosept.com. Uh, check us out. Thank you very much for joining us today, and we'll see you very soon. Bye.